Jenny, why? I mean, why do you think they were called lava lamps if they didn't actually put anything molten inside of them? You know, if you look around my room, yeah, which which, which <laughs> I am, see, you'll see that I have quite a few lava lamps. You do, and here's the funny thing: they're actually called lava lights. Really? They spell light like uh, like L I T E. Yeah, like Miller Light. So maybe they're full of beer. <gasps> Are you suggesting we drink a lava light? Because I'm down. Okay. Crack open a couple of lava lights. Let's Pop do this. Pop again, baby. Yeah. It's just like beer, kind of. It'll float around in your belly just like it looks in the lamp form. Well, you know what? Whatever doesn't kill you makes you an idiot. Welcome to Digital Noise. This is, of course, our weekly Blu-ray and DVD review show, uh, which always gives you a bad case of the blues. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, and joining me once again from the den of geek iniquity is Mr. Johnny Neal. Hey, I, uh, I'm sorry if I'm slurring my words. Um, What's up? Did you drink a lava light? I drank a lava light with hydrocodone in it. Hillbilly <laughs> lava light. I had hand surgery about... Yeah, Nine days you look ago. like a Bond henchman right now. I look, <laughs> I look like an otter <laughs> with, with little. Swollen. That was going to be my next choice: <laughs> Bond henchman or otter. Or an otter. Yeah, not like a little skinny gay guy, but like a, a fat <laughs> guy with his hand bandaged. Is that what an otter is? That's what they call them. A skinny gay guy and otters. What the fuck? I don't know. They have this weird, you know, mutual of Omaha Wild what? Kingdom. Why game hasn't game. the crazy right wing taken on that argument? It's like they're appropriating our zoo animals. I do feel that way. First, they came for our rainbows. <laughs> You know, there used to be so many songs about rainbows that weren't disco. Why? You know, it's like there's all kinds of you know gay people wanting stuff. Crazy people running around with mud in their eyes, and all they want to do is dance. All they want to do is dance, (laughs) dance with their little otter friends. Hey. So anyway, I had hand surgery. I've been on on uh, hydrocodone for the last week. So if I sound a little slurry. It's because I've been doing nothing but watching television for a week. Oh, and that will well, cause some brain damage, let me tell you. That's what my mom always used to say. But uh, regardless, I mean, it's funny. You could have just said nothing, and they would have assumed we were drunk. So Yeah. <laughs> that, that could have also... One day at a time, listeners. Yeah, one, first step is admitting your hand is fucked up. Oh, uh, man. So. There you go. If you want to hear more ramblings like that, you can find back catalog episodes on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast, D-I-G-I NoiseCast, or at one of us net. You can also like the website on Facebook, Facebook.com slash one of us net. So before we get started with the reviews of a severely mixed bag of titles, um, we are going to go ahead and crack open that most questionable of coffers that we call got mail the letterbox that's correct thank you torgo and you know it looks like torgo's hands are all messed up too they're they're swelled up and 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 bruised and I, man you, do you, oh no that's just oh that's how they look always sorry Torgo's torgo. the one who did the surgery on oh that's that might, i didn't even terrifying. know i needed surgery until torgo talked me into it torgo's first choice is always surgery i stubbed my toe once he wanted to amputate he wanted yeah because he had that cool little guillotine that he ordered from the back of a vampirella magazine. i think it was just a cigar cutter 
I think, it was. I think that's what it was. Oh. But Mr. Johnny Neal is the keeper of the coffer this week. So I'm going to let Mr. Johnny Neal decide which question we answer first. Let's let's start with the first question. Okay. Joseph Compton was the one who Straight out of Compton. Straight out of Compton. That's what this question is. Straight what out of Compton. Is a TV series you really like but feel has a little bit more of a barrier to entry than most. Hmm. For example, the show Steven Universe spends the first 12 episodes on character and world building, but doesn't get into its main story until 13. I got to tell you, I don't even know what Steven no. Universe is, and I would not have hung on for 13 episodes for 13 before you find out what the story is. The- yeah, no. See, I mean, by that time, you're like an abused wife who's making excuses for for the abusing. It's like a like playing fantasy football and holding on to a supposedly good running back for eight weeks because you know he's going to break out even though he's been sucking for eight weeks. Or like the guy that keeps signing Hayden Christensen for movies. Yeah. Who don't well, do that. That'll don't come up that. later. That, that'll come up later. That's a that's that's what we call foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. What, what's your answer? I I have to think about this. A show that has a, a too much of a barrier to entry that I My answer think. was very quick. Okay, what was your answer? Arrow. Really? Yeah, because I get into. Uh, you know what? All the yeah, time. yeah. I had the same problem actually with Arrow. I like so did not want to watch it, mm-hmm. and then because I tried watching it at about episode eight, right? And then when it was the summer and there was nothing decent on, and I had Netflix, I started watching it from the beginning, and mm-hmm. that was the show that binge watching made really good for me some shows you can't really binge watch mm-hmm. uh, like uh, mad men i think is a non-binge watching show that's a show to be savored interesting one episode at a time arrow is fun to binge watch it's like getting the christmas issue you know every every time you watch several episodes because mm-hmm. it's kind of like lost it's very complicated in its in its backstories and in its characterization and you find a whole lot more in Stephen ml's acting than you would if you just watched it one episode out of the blue gotcha uh, for me, I think I'm going to go with Sports Night, um, and I think it has a particular barrier to entry in that it is a uh, sports-related show, yeah. and I know a lot of uh, people out there in our geek universe are not sports fans. And that was the one with Matthew Perry? No, no, no. That's Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, oh. which I think is good from episode one. It has oh. one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Um, but Sports Night had two things going against it at first. One, um, in terms of my sphere of people that I know is it's a sports show, it's a sports-related show, so, you know, that's going to be tough to get into for some people alone. But they also made the very, the studio, I can't remember which network it was, made the very unwise decision to add a laugh track for the first few episodes. Oh. And it's it, it's just, it's incongruous. I mean, you have an Aaron Sorkin scripted show that is very poignant, very thought-provoking. And, and clearly not live. And clearly not live before an audience. <laughs> so the laugh track of the first few episodes I know turns a lot of people off, but if you stick with it, I would put Sports Night on the same tier as the great Aaron Sorkin shows. I love, wow. love, love Sports Night. Uh, I think Joshua Molina is a big reason that I love that show, too. He's uh, He plays this character on the show who is uh, kind of nebbish, but is a genius with sports, uh, but has like a, a legitimate passion for it. And it's just a really sweet guy, really funny. Um, but yeah, I think I think between it being a sports show... Or I mean, it's about the making of like Sports Night. I mean, it's right. it's like a behind the scenes show about the making of Sports Night. The way the newsroom is a show about making that kind of news broadcast. 
Um, but yeah, I think those two things coupled together prov- uh, create sort of a barrier to entry. But get through it. It's worth it. I could see where that would be fun because you've yeah. got a whole lot of egos. Yes. You have egos that aren't justified at all because they're the people talking about the people that are actually doing the work. Yes, you know? so, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. They should do an entertainment weekly night. Entertainment. Oh, like the Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> like what it's yeah, Entertainment Tonight. Yeah, like what it's like to be soulless. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you find that they're all assholes, like Montage is a Satanist <laughs> or something. <laughs> Mary, Mary. What if they did like a combination between that and a '70s show? It was John Tesh and Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman. Uh, instead oh, of just Mary Hart, because she was the host of entertainment. That, that is po- possibly the most uh, esoteric reference I've ever made that on this was show. Amazing. Yeah, that thank was you. Completely amazing. Thank you, sir. And they could probably still get Martin Mull and and uh, Fred Willard. More than likely, yeah. <laughs> Fernwood tonight. I've seen some of the movies that those guys are in, and you could definitely get them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm well. That's interesting. That's what you're going to go with. Yeah. Now, okay. Now here's my follow up question. How long did Sports Night last? Um, three seasons. Really? I say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I just bought the box set at a Goodwill for like four bucks. Wow. With the, it's the whole show. You're helping the community. That's and, what I do. You know. That's yeah, what I do. You're giving back. I'm a giver. You are a giver. No, I'm a taker. I'm totally a taker. Let's be real here. You I just, I just want. No. Goodwill. I thought you about just it. Waited it out. Yeah. So, did they like just unceremoniously delete the the uh, laughter? Oh, they dumped it after just a few out episodes. Out of nowhere, they just yeah. Kind of went, oh. It just disappeared because somebody finally went, "Okay, this is stupid. We're not doing that anymore." Wow. You know that was. Not Aaron Sorkin's dream. No, not at, at all. Not at all. No. Yeah. Unless maybe he was on heroin or crack or something. I'm on both right now, and I feel great. <laughs> Michael X. Riojas. Unless Michael. It's Michael the Tenth Riojas. What is your holy grail of home video? Is Ooh. there a movie or TV show that exists in some format that you would do things a person would only do for a Klondike bar <laughs> and get to get your hands on it? That's funny. Or do you already own one? I already I already own one. Yeah, my answer was hmm. I don't really have an answer for that. I I have an answer for Tell this. Me. Uh it is the and, and I already own it. Uh but there was a cut of Star Wars done online called the Despecialized cut where somebody ripped the laser discs of Star Wars and upgraded the visuals and the or the the picture quality and the sound quality to make it high def to put it onto a Blu-ray, but it doesn't have any of the 1997 bullshit. If you try to get Star Wars on Blu-ray right now, your only choice is that 1997 recut where Lucas lost his goddamn mind and, and fucked it up. Yeah. But I still wanted to have Star Wars on Blu-ray. Um, I think that hopefully at a certain point Disney will go, you know, people are craving the original version of Star Wars. We're just going to release it on Blu-ray the way it should be. Until then, the only way to get that is you have to find it online, the Despecialized cut, which I have uh, one of each of the three uh, original trilogy and I absolutely love owning them and watching them because it it reminds me that there is a possibility in the future of getting... Uh, I mean, they look great. I mean, they don't look like bootlegs. I mean, they, they right. took a lot of care, uh, but I highly recommend that. That's my holy grail is to get an actual Blu-ray release with special features of the original Star Wars. And right now, I have a version of that, so I'm quite happy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I bet that will happen. Also... Because all- Disney isn't going to pass up a buck. No. And they don't care what George Lucas wants. No, not at all. They don't care if he wants to rewrite history. But I have to give credit to a lot of the smaller outlets like Shout Factory and Arrow Video and and Synapse and all these companies that are actually putting out a lot of the stuff that would have been my answer two years ago. Right, right. Um, So, like, I I actually just found out that the car 
is yeah. coming to Blu-ray. It, now, it's already on Blu-ray in uh, the UK via Arrow, right. uh, but I don't have a region-free Blu-ray player anymore, so I'm really excited to hear that it's it's coming out uh, stateside as well. So Cool. Yeah, that's... Um that that's why I really kind of had to take pause. Yeah. Because it was if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said, "Oh, the Man from Uncle." Yeah. But then released the Man from Uncle. The whole series yeah. came out all at once. Yeah. In a beautiful bru- uh, aluminum the briefcase. briefcase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it wasn't really an aluminum briefcase, which would have oh, been sweet, but it probably would have jacked the price up a few hundred. Dollars. A few hundred bucks, sure, sure, sure. Okay. With the new trend of making television series based on movies, mm-hmm. Limitless being an example, yeah. which movie property would you like to see turned into a television series? Hmm. I said, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, <laughs> The Further Adventures, or Let the Right One In. For oh, that would reason, be good. I would love to see a vampire series to where it's not like supernatural or something they're not a crime fighter it's just kind of like the hulk let me tell you exactly why that would work johnny neal because if you remember let the right one in the end of the movie and during the movie you understand that the person who is shuttling her around in the case is like it's her familiar it's her love slave i mean whatever you want to call it but there's a there's a changing of the guard in that movie every season could end with that relationship ending and a new one beginning. Right. Taking her to a completely new place because she can't really control where they go. They could be they could that could be a globe trotting horror series with a new familiar keeper character every single season. And you could go back hundreds of years. Yeah, you absolutely you could. could. I, I that's what I thought too. Like yeah. uh, you don't even need an origin of how did she become a vampire. No. And it would be cool to just have cast the right you know, teenage girl in the part. Make sure to get the right one into that show. Yeah, oh, exactly. I think right. that would be uh, that would be fun. Um, I think the problem in most casting things as a series is that they really want you to want to watch it forever. Mm-hmm. And it should I think most series are only good maybe three seasons. You know what? I'm I'm also going to go with a horror movie, Cabin in the Woods. I would love to see like every episode is a different scenario. Okay. Like you get Bradley Whitford. And, um, oh my God, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. An amazing, amazing character actor. Uh, Coen Brothers' favorite. Who am I thinking of, Johnny Neal? The other guy. Uh, anyway, uh, those two guys, Hadley and Citizen, the characters, their character names, um, playing, you know, before everything went tits up and all the scenarios that they run and watching those scenarios unfold because that's episodic in and of itself. Right. I would totally watch that show. Yeah. There's a lot of humor in that to be to be uh, mined and yeah no I would watch the hell out of that yeah yeah um, were you asking for uh, Limitless to be made into a- I wasn't <laughs> no I, I think if there's ever a limited idea for a TV show it's <laughs> though I will say the one thing I liked about Limitless was uh, drugs were used for good yeah U- ultimately even though he did murder somebody but you know, ultimately my problem with that show is apart from the physical stuff. Sherlock is that character, right? So yeah. I, I don't, I don't really see a necessity. Yeah, it's it's kind of like so. I don't really. I mean, he was. I don't know. I, I didn't care for that movie. I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like it. You yeah. know what I mean? I just can't. Let's all watch a show about the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, that's what Fox News thinks it is. So there you go. Yeah. Um. Let's do one more. Let's do one more I'm question. Gonna say. Like a favorite movie, or there no? That, I'm gonna leave that one. Alone. 
What would you consider the most important movie prop or scale design that changed the way filmmaking was done? This is from our white-haired friend, Neil Kelly. Ah, Neil Kelly. Yes. And I said, I didn't understand the question. Well, no, I, I think I do. I think I understand it. So, in other words, a, a, a prop that was created specifically for one movie that then kind of changed the way either props were done or digital effects were done or optical effects or practical, whatever the case may be. Um, I would probably go with Rick Baker's werewolf transformation makeup from American Werewolf in London. Good answer. That is one of, I think, one of the most important. I know it's not a prop, but it is a makeup effect that changed the way. I mean, it's... It is so groundbreaking that they literally invented the Oscar for that. They invented the special effects Oscar for Rick Baker, and he was the first one to win it because of that movie. So I don't know how you can really come up with a more important piece of movie memorabilia, makeup effect, whatever, uh, prop that is is vastly important to cinema as the one that they invented a fucking Oscar for. So that, that would be my answer. That's a good answer. That's really good. Because... It hasn't ever gotten any better than that as far as practical As far as transformations of werewolves go, that none stand none can can stand anywhere near Rick Baker's transformation and it's such a great movie. Yeah. Oh absolutely. To be in a great movie helps. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not in a shitty movie and just looks really good. It's in a really great movie. So Yeah. Um any British or UK gangster movies that we enjoy. My mine was Get Carter, right? Oh, Get Carter's great. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the real Get Carter, not the Sylvester Stallone, Rocky IV, Get Carter. I think the person who asked this question mentioned my favorite, which is Long Good Friday. Uh, yeah. I absolutely love the Long Good Friday. That would, that would be Paul Mampilli. Yes. Shout out to our limey English friend. Um, and of course, uh, the, the early Guy Ritchie movies for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm just trying to think. what There's another one. Escaping me. I think it might be another Michael Caine movie. I'm just really fond of uh, British crime movies. Oh yeah, because there's there's something real savage about them. Oh, uh, Sexy Beast. Sexy Beast. Yeah. yeah, definitely. There's something about not having guns that makes the criminals seem a little meaner. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I don't have a shortcut to take, so I'm just gonna have to beat the shit out of you with this, yeah with this cricket bat. You know, it's, absolutely. Which is a whole lot more intimidating to me than. The, it, just to watch it than sure. just somebody getting shot. You yeah, know? I think I think uh, uh, American movies tend to get real lazy with their machine guns. Like everybody has a machine gun. Even our superheroes have machine guns. Looking at you, Falcon. Hey, uh, hey, hey. I, I, I kind of hey. hate that that vibe thing. Well, let's let's go ahead and close the letterbox for this week and get started on your favorite part of the show. If I didn't get to you, then I'll put it in uh, in the Facebook. Yeah, Johnny Neal is really good about responding to people on Facebook. So any questions we didn't answer, Johnny Neal will probably answer on Facebook. So let's dive into the reviews. Oh, it's a shallow pool. It is. We shouldn't dive. Shallow, we should. We should. We should dip, let's dip a toe we into should, the reviews. We should wade in gently. If we don't break a neck on rocks, then we're going to cut our feet on oysters or something. That being said, if you would like to purchase any of the titles we talk about, there will be Amazon links here on the page on oneofus.net right under the recording. Um, so make sure that you click. Even if you don't want to buy that particular item, just by clicking on the link. If you go to Amazon and buy anything, as long as you got there via our link, we get a, a profit off of that. So we appreciate you doing that. And we're going to start this week with The Age of Adeline. Now, this is a movie I'd been hearing a lot about. I uh, was not able to attend any of the screenings. Um, so this was a, a first viewing for me. Now, this this movie concerns a, a woman in her 20s who uh, 
is working uh, at a a library and is a very uh, from the, from the beginning of the movie, we know that there's something going on with her. She's she's first seen getting a fake ID. Uh, she's obviously very smart. Obviously, she kind of reminds me of Sherlock actually because she can look around a room, find minute details, and really tell a lot about a person. Um, but it, it's very clear that something is up with her. And what we discover is that Adeline is something of an immortal. Um, she cannot. She is uh, immune to the ravages of time, as the narrator informs us as the narrator explains to us as the narrator explains to step us by step, step exactly by step. why so um she has had a problem in her life that since this has happened to her and she's been immortal she can't enter in i mean it's, it's a very old the like the the problem of immortality kind of uh conundrum where you can't really find love because you're going to outlive the person that you love by several decades um and this is and, what happens and there was an interesting twist on that there was in that in the 50s Right after this kind of happened, the CIA figured out that there was something going on with her. Yeah. And they came looking for her, thinking she was some kind of a Soviet secret weapon. And so she's been on the run ever since as well. Yeah. So, so that's where that's kind of the story. And where it goes from there is, is kind of the surprise of the movie. So I don't want to ruin anything else. But I will say this. I found this to be a very lovely movie. I thought it was pretty expertly shot and directed. I mean, there are scenes where... They build tension just by the way that scenes are shot, just by the way that the camera tracks, by the distance that they it, they intentionally create between the character and the camera. Like just her entering that library, I could I got like, oh, something's amiss here. Something's good. like, I didn't even really need the narrator to tell me what was. I mean, eventually it, it would have been helpful to know what the fuck was going on. But you can tell that you know something something is up with her before anyone tells you that because of the way that it's shot and it's really beautifully shot. Um, and the you know I think there are things about this movie that are quite predictable because we've seen this kind of supernatural romance type story before um, somebody who is burdened with some kind of supernatural ability or, or impediment. And then what happens when they find love? And it, it, so it, to a certain degree, I think there's sort of a, a, a push button screenwriting thing going on. However, I think the performances and the overall um, lovely tone of the movie make it, it's hard for me to get to get cynical about it, and much as I, I may want to. But Johnny Neal, what what did you think of the Age of Adeline? Well, um, first I watched it with my wife, and there is an awful lot of exposition from the narrator. And I said, you know, I don't think he needed to narrate that part. I, I think I could have lived without the explicit explanation there. And my wife said, this is a chick flick, and I am a chick, and I like. Every T line, every T crossed, and every I dotted. I, it's fine with me. So, so hush you. And I said, "Okay, honey, sorry." Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it, it's kind of a benign vampire movie in that she doesn't feed <laughs> off anybody. You know, there's kind of like it's all of the problems you would see in a in a vampire that's in love movie. That's except funny. that there's no way that she's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, I really think Blake Lively is a beautiful woman in in that new uh that that uh strawberry girl, you know, that mm-hmm. uh she uh Katie Lotz, there's a there's just this 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 wave of California girls that are they're not the girl next door unless you live next door to Hugh Hefner or something, but <laughs> but they're they're not porcelain dolls either they're really beautiful but they look like real people at the same time well and i think what benefited this movie is a lot is she has a very classical beauty she kind of looks like a movie star from the 40s right so i mean i think that really helped out a lot and her 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 performance is absolutely astounding 
I actually, my favorite part of the movie was, in fact, her relationship with uh, Ellen Burstyn, who plays her daughter. Me too. Who, you know, by the time that this movie, 2015, when this movie takes place, um, you know, her daughter is elderly. Yeah. And she is not aged at all. And that's a very interesting dynamic that it creates. But I mean, the, the mother-daughter relationship is still so evident and, and so powerful, despite the fact that mom is several decades younger than daughter. Right. And and yet, yeah, it's it's very clear that she's the mom. Yeah. But they're also... A healthy adult mother-daughter relationship. Right, yeah. There's no nobody's taking care of each other, you know. Um, the the daughter seems to have a few tasks to meet here and there. Uh, I also liked her best friend, who was a jazz piano player that was blind. Yes, yeah. And uh, that was a nice touch to where when she gets hit on at a at a New Year's Eve party or something, and her friend is like, hey, "What are you talking to a couple old ladies for?" Yeah, she's like, "This <laughs> must be the cougar table." She has no idea <laughs> yeah. that Adeline looks like she's twenty four. Yeah, you know. that was a real sweet little moment. So I really enjoyed it. I, I'm not doing flips and twists over it. This guy Michael Huisman. Yeah, is that guy like got the best agent in the world? He's in everything. He must. He, he must have a really good. He, you know what it is? He's a more handsome Adam Driver. I think that's what ah. it, I think he's the handsome version of Adam Driver. So if you're looking for a quirky, weird-looking guy who can be Adam Driver, you get Adam Driver. If you want Adam Driver, but you want him to be box office like uh, heartthrobby sellable, you go with Michael Huisman. Well, he's in uh, he's in Orphan Black too, and mm-hmm. I think that he's that rarity, uh, a leading man who's more than happy to give the spotlight to the leading woman. Right. And so, you know, good for him. And, and I, his his dance card plays stays pretty full. He's in Game of Thrones as well, and he was in yes, Treme. Dario Naharis. Yeah, in fact, and in Treme again, he was like he he had uh, Annie, the awesome violin playing girlfriend, and. And then he kicked heroin in in that. So I like him a lot. It was nice to see him on a big screen movie, even though he kind of got on my nerves a little bit. He played a little a little passive aggressive here and there, but she kind of put him in his place. Like, yeah. I don't need your passive aggressive shit and called him on it. I really liked that. And there was a young Harrison Ford. Yeah, okay. I want to talk about Harrison Ford in this movie because I have had a problem with Harrison Ford lately in that he he has sort of that... Um, that Bruce Willis problem right now where he just kind of grumbles and, you know, doesn't give a shit his way through a lot of movies. Um, but I will say that in this movie, there were moments where I was like, see, Harrison, that's why we used to love you. Yeah. You're acting, you're caring. Right. Like, Not your movie star, you're yeah, acting. You're acting. And it was it was a refreshing change of pace. But I do want to, yeah, I do want to mention the fact that there's a flashback featuring a young Harrison Ford and the guy that they got to play him, an actor by the name of Anthony Ingruber, looks so much yeah. like Harrison Ford, like a young hair. I had to pause the movie a couple of times because I was like, what the fuck? And he has the. I wondered if that was his real voice or if somebody laid that in on it or. I, I couldn't tell. He, he did the Harrison. It's, Harrison Ford has one of those voices that you don't know an impression of it. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't do an impression of him without hearing somebody else do an impression of him. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that guy's doing a really good Harrison Ford. And I yeah. didn't know that there was a really good Harrison Ford. I, I stopped it a couple of times because I'm like, that has to be digital. That had to be like right. what they did with, um, with, with what's his name in, in Tron Legacy. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bridges in in Tron Legacy. Um, But no, I mean, this actor just looks exactly like a young Harrison Ford. And I'm just saying, Star Wars, if you need a flashback sequence going forward. Well, they didn't zoom in on his face ever. He was, he was not that, not that they hit him in the shadows like he was in a Brian De Palma nightmare. But oh my God, they're making, I just realized they're making a Han Solo movie. 
Oh. Uh, the the guys, Lord and Miller from 21 Jump Street, are making a Harrison Fo- or a, uh, a Han Solo movie. Guys, get Anthony Ingruber. I swear to God, if you get anyone else, you are fucking yourselves. Because this guy looks exactly like a young Harrison Ford, and he can act. So get Anthony Ingruber. I'm telling you right now, do it. Do it. Stop arguing with me and just do it. Call this his screen test. Call this his screen test. Absolutely. As far as special features go on this Blu-ray from Lionsgate, which, by the way, means that um, you'll have to sit through hours of trailers. I mean, you can skip them. Yeah. So you won't have to. But Lionsgate, between Lionsgate and Magnolia, sometimes I lose count of how many fucking trailers there are at the beginning of movies. Um, But this uh, Blu-ray comes with an audio commentary from director Lee Todlin Krieger. Uh, There's a featurette called Love Story for the Ages, Style Through the Ages, Discovering Young Harrison Ford, Anthony Ingruber, an online sensation, and deleted scenes. I hope he is an online sensation because he needs to be Han Solo in the Han Solo movie. Just saying. So did did you get a feeling at any time in this, like in the future, that uh, old Harrison Ford would be saying to his son, so uh, she still do that thing? Oh, gross. (laughs) Gross. I don't want to think about that. I, I will say one of the problems I, I had I with this movie. So delicate. And one of the problems I had with this movie is that the resolution, like the thing that actually causes her immortality, is right. is very much a MacGuffin. Like just so lazy. Like yeah, and then that happened. It's it would like, have been no. better to just say, and for some reason, she was an immortal. She was just born. For that some way. reason, it went away. Yeah. You know, I kind of like unexplained, but again, chicks apparently like everything folded up like it's, a little fortune teller. It is, as every romantic comedy gives us, the romantic MacGuffin. And moving on to a movie I didn't get a chance to see, but I know uh, Mr. Johnny Neal was such a huge fan of, <laughs> is American Heist starring Hayden Christensen, Adrian Brody, Jordana Brewster, and anyone else who couldn't get work that month. Oh my God. This movie, okay, it starts this with uh, a, 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 Adrian Brody getting out of prison. Oscar winner Adrian Brody getting out of prison, and he has a tattoo on his shoulder of young Frank Sinatra's mugshot, and his name is Frankie. Does that tell you all you need to know about Pretty this much. guy? I mean, he's really a mook. You know, he's like, if the only thing you like about Frank Sinatra is that he had a bit of a jail record, <laughs> an arrest record, <laughs> you're kind of missing the point about Frank Sinatra. Um, it also has Hayden Christensen in it, and I don't know what lottery he won or what, but that guy has no charisma and no presence, and yet I he hate still sand. gets shown and stuff. It's rough and gets everywhere. <laughs> One of my favorite bad line readings from the prequels. I hate sand. One of them? It's coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. It's just like, shut the fuck up, you whiny little brat. I will destroy. You are not Darth Vader. Not now, not ever. Go Never. fuck yourself. Never. Though you do kind of hope he, when he gets old, he looks like the ugly old Darth Vader without the helmet. <laughs> looks like, in the third like one. David Prowse. No, like the guy. They didn't even use that. Oh, that's Prowse. right. They didn't. Yeah. I was like, what is, what is this movie? Anyway. <laughs> About thirty-year-old disappointments. Um, hey, you know what? That's so. My mom calls me a thirty-year-old disappointment. That's so no, weird. No, she does you discovered not. Discovered her pet name for you me. You have one of the healthiest parental relationships in the world. <laughs> Doesn't mean she can't think it. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it starts with them getting so out of jail. So it starts with that, and then he gets out of jail, and then the, there's like two black guys, and I'm only saying this because it becomes a point of the thing that not saying that the, means something. Why, why would the white it? guy in prison hang out with the black guys? Is kind of the dialogue. Honestly, the dialogue in this is so bad. The acting is so bad. At some point, 
so he's trying to get he took the rap frankie took the rap for darth vader's <laughs> participation in a crime and then he's trying to drag him back into it and do one more big job for these uh these other guys and he finally at one point he breaks down and i'm going this guy won an oscar for playing a, a malnourished jewish piano player in in an epic movie and he breaks down and he literally i'm not i'm not even like winging this he starts saying they butt fucked me man they butt fucked me and they were gonna butt fuck me some more if i didn't help him out and he Jesus starts crying Christ. and i'm going yeah, I hope this, everybody gets shot in this movie. I don't even remember how it ended. It just kind of, <laughs> I think he did die. I mean, honestly, I kind of tuned this movie out after that. Yeah. Um, it, it just wasn't very good anyway. I never really tuned into it. Um, but Adrian Brody, I'm always happy to give him a chance. But you know what? Now I'm going, yeah, I think they did the right thing with Doctor Strange, not well, going with Adrian Brody. Well, I think it's because, very uh, apropos to this movie, he's still in movie jail. So he hasn't. His character may have gotten out of jail at the beginning of this, but Adrian Brody himself is not out of movie jail yet. Um, so how long does it take? I don't know. He may have to be one of those guys that Tarantino resurrects his career in like ten years. You know. But he won an Oscar and never did anything. I'm after just saying, that. man. He's I'm done shit saying. like this ever since. He really has, and uh, it's it's funny. So so it's like to pull that one last job. He's trying to get out of the life. So I imagine based on that description that the bank they were robbing was first national cliche and trust. Was that, was that the yeah, bank that they were robbing? And okay. they were looking for bearer bonds <laughs> that were, uh, yeah, something like that. They were looking for unbearable. Bonds. Uh, oh, bearable. So this movie sucked, but you can get it on Amazon. Or, or you can buy the Blu-ray, which has a special feature featurette called creating a complex caper. Oh, there's nothing complex in this movie at all. Giving themselves a little bit of credit, are they? Wanting to hmm. want it, wanting to stay awake for it. Yeah. And again, I've been really heavily narcoticized for the last week, so maybe this movie is worse than I'm giving it credit for. Well, it probably is better than the movie I'm about to talk about, which also involves bank robbers called Checkmate. Now, this is put out by a company called Alchemy, which, based on the trailers before this movie, makes the worst shit that could possibly get sold ever. It is. I unimaginable how bad these fucking movies are they turn lead into gold no they turn shit into shit <laughs> that's the alchemy that they perform um this stars this is like a who's who of who cares anymore right um vinnie jones danny glover sean astin and michael Pare, uh along with misha barton so yeah again like all of these people that you're like oh all they do anymore is direct to dvd crap and to be fair this is direct-to-video crap. Uh, this is a movie that also starts with a heist, but is a very boring heist. You're not even sure what's going on. Um, suddenly, the cops who are surrounding the bank during the heist, there's a guy on a roof behind them who's shooting at them. They kill that guy. That's when the title card comes up, and then we jump back one week later. Let me tell you something, terrible filmmakers. <laughs> Just because Tarantino can pull this shit and mess with chronology of films doesn't mean that anything that happens is interesting enough that we want to know what chain of events led us to that point. If you have a completely piss-poor movie that, I'm sorry, must have been shot on videotape but looks awful, there are shots that linger on people who aren't talking when it's not a tense conversation. It's just like they didn't know when to cut. It is absolutely atrocious piece of filmmaking. And just because some guy on a roof we weren't introduced to we don't care about gets shot, after like five minutes of taking fire from the entire LAPD... Even though he's out, no mask, just standing on the corner of a building, I'm like, somebody has to hit him. You've got to be kidding me. Just because that guy we don't care about dies 
doesn't mean we immediately want to know all of the events that got us to that point. So stop fucking doing that. You are not interesting or talented enough to pull it off. Just quit it. And speaking of cliches, the reason this movie is called Checkmate is the two orchestrators of the crime, Danny Glover, who they must have, um, as I call, uh, been hired for a, a day around because he was only in scenes where he's sitting in this chair with Vinnie Jones in a room playing chess. So guess what? The chess game represents the plot of the movie, represents the schemes of the two people. So every move, and I'm like, stop, that was tired 20 years ago. Did, did Vinnie Jones say, king me? Uh, he should have. He really um, should have. Jordana Brewster was in that sort of role. She just kind of showed up in a restaurant a yeah. couple of times. She wasn't interacting Yeah. Um, so this movie is so hard to sit through because it's just so boring. It is just so poorly made and everything. I mean, you can predict everything that's going to happen in this. Sean Astin plays a, a priest who's also a hitman, but it's just not interesting at all. And it just, this is so poorly made that I'm actually kind of offended that they put it on DVD and thought anybody would want to watch it. It is just piss poor. There are shots that aren't even in focus. There are framing issues. It's just like, I don't know what first-year film student thought this was going to be his big break just because he had these people, but these people are not difficult to get. I'm pretty sure we could make a viral video for one of us.net starring better actors than are in this movie. Well, don't you wonder how how movies like this get made? It always kind of, like, it's just as much work to make a bad movie as it is to make a good movie. Right, but good movies aren't good tax shelters, which I have a theory that's what this movie has to be because oh. it is just God Creative accounting. Cre- very creative accounting. Okay. Now let's talk about a good movie, a really good movie that I absolutely love. Uh, and I know I t- they talked about this last week. I don't care. I want to talk about it. Redeemer, the latest film from Ernesto Diaz Espinosa starring the great... Marco Zoror. If you guys are not familiar, if you've been listening to us for any expanse of time, you have heard us talk about Ernesto Diaz Espinosa and Marco Zoror um, because they uh, they made movies like Mirage Man, they made movies like Mandrill, they made um, you know Kiltro, all of them starring Marco Zoror. Uh, Bring Me the Head of Machine Gun Woman is the only one he's made that didn't have Marcus Aurora in it, and it was also really good. I mean, these are South American martial arts action films that are just amazing like made for no money but still way better than and than you, the directed video shit we get from the states anymore um redeemer follows a character um uh he's an ex-cartel hitman who is basically going around and getting revenge on people for his own sins and every day before he goes out to kill he plays russian roulette and if god lets him live then that must mean that he's in favor of what he's doing. It's a very, it's a much darker film than we usually get from these two. The character of of Pardo is so much darker and more complex than any that Marcus Aurora has ever played. And once again, I think he really delivers. But the fight sequences in this are also pretty dark and brutal. Like there's literally a, a scene where he cuts a guy's face to ribbons with a boat propeller, like something out of a, a Friday the Thirteenth sequel. Um, very intense, very violent. So much fun still. Um, Johnny Neal, did you get a chance to watch this? I did. I did. And I, I wasn't as enthusiastic about it as you, but okay. I, I really don't have any criticism of it. It uh-huh. just was, uh, it, it made me think a lot of El Mariachi. You know, it had yeah. that kind of budget yeah. and that kind of everything is shot outside in the daylight or in a, in a warehouse with a lot of windows. Yeah. You know, very low budget. Uh, I did kind of like the idea that he played Russian roulette every morning. Like, well, do I, do I, 
accept my punishment or do I deal out some punishment? Yeah. You know, there was a kind of a, uh, uh, just a, a grand fate thing, you know, run in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to knock it, but I wasn't crazy about it. It's just not my thing. I, I will say one of my favorite parts of this movie is that it also stars uh, a friend of the website, Noah Segan, as a an American gangster who has moved into South America to take over the drug trade, and he plays this like a whacked out Gary Oldman character from the '90s. Like he kind of plays it. Uh, I I have to believe that part of his inspiration for this role. His performance has to be Gary Oldman in in uh, the professional. Like he just has that kind of like he's completely out of his mind. Like there's a scene where he's like learning how to do a traditional South American dance, and then he's also killing people at the same time. And that was the white guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. How, how do you know him? Noah Segan was in the movie Looper. Uh, he oh, was okay. he was uh, Kid Blue in Looper, and we've been um, talking to him. Uh, regularly doing this sort of series of interviews. I actually have one that I'm editing uh, right now about what it's like to be a working actor in Hollywood. And well, he was what made me think of El Mariachi. Oh, right Because on. of the, the white guy that was in El Mariachi. Oh, yeah. He didn't even speak Spanish. It was all phonetic. Yeah. You know, and like his name was Snot or something. <laughs> like he didn't know that they were calling him a fake name. And I thought that was him, actually. I no, no, was no. the same guy. No, that's, uh, that's Noah Segan. And I just, I think that this movie um, showcases two things. It showcases... Marco Zorro's range as an actor, uh, it also showcases his range as a fight choreographer. One of the things I'm always fascinated by, uh, because Marco Zorro is not just the star, he always uh, is the fight coordinator as well, is that no two movies have the same type of fights in them. Um, they're, they're very, like, they all are very um, catered to what Marco can do, but they're all very different, and they have a, a different texture to them. And this one was, like I said, just really gritty, really violent like hateful it was so much more hateful the fight sequences yeah than were, any of the other movies bone crushing fight scenes yeah and that's that's what they do and i love the ending of this movie that the showdown that ends up taking place between um marcos aurora's character and this hitman called the scorpion um but yeah just just excellent movie this is the kind of thing that i love to find like I was already a fan of these guys, but this is the kind of movie that if I just stumbled across it while doing one of these shows, this is exactly the kind of thing that I'd be looking for. Um, so, like I said, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because they did talk about it last week, but I just wanted to give my two cents. Really love this movie, uh, Redeemer. Are they are they uh, pretty successful in the... In, the, in South this? America, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are. Um, I, I really want to see them break out and uh, and make it to the States and be successful here. They're Right now, they are, are favorites of Fantastic Fest, our mm -hmm. local film festival, they come almost every year with a new movie, and they are just wildly beloved. And you can totally see that the, their love and passion for what they do when you watch their movies, and I highly recommend doing that. What you may not want to watch uh, is a movie called The Bloodlands. Now, this is uh, being released by Magnet, and it is a, a, a British horror film. Um, it is very standard. Uh, it's a home invasion horror film about these two folks who move to Scotland, buy an old farmhouse... To, okay, my, part of my problem immediately off the off the bat here is that I can't figure out why they bought this house. I can't figure out why they wanted this broken Were down. Were they going to flip it? I guess that was the... I mean, and they mentioned they're going to fix it up and maybe rent some of the... But it's like, you have to drive all this way. It's like out of the way in the middle of nowhere in Scotland. It's not an appealing house. And I don't buy the, well, we can get it at a good price bullshit that is like usually every haunted house excuse for buying. It's just like... You could probably find cheap property somewhere else that doesn't have this uh, complicated history of like, well, the original owner went bankrupt and then he killed himself and his sons still live in the area. The realtor, the realtor is telling them this and they still think it's a good idea to buy the house. And I'm like, when shit hits the fan, I'm like, hey, I know who those people are. I know exactly who the people in the pig masks are that are trying to kill you. 
I know who they. It's clear who they are because the realtor warned you about this. Um, so what follows is a very standard, very unshocking, marginally tense uh, home invasion where these guys in pig masks come in and this couple is like being dragged through the woods and has one of those endings that. I don't know. I guess they were trying to be ambiguous, but it's like, okay, I know what's going on here. And in fact, the very last shot of the movie, I don't know if it was intended to be a break away from standard, but it undercuts all of any marginal suspense that was throughout the rest of the movie. I, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Um, not not because I, I take pleasure in spoiling bad movies, but because I really want to talk about this. The beginning of the movie, you see one of the two people of the couple lying in the woods with their head in a bag and it looks like they're dead and then someone drags the body off like, Ooh, okay and then we go how do we get here i don't care um but the end of the movie they both wake up back in london and or back in i don't know if it's london or, or maybe glasgow or just some big city and they're just laying next to uh like a, a train station and they wake up and they're like shocked but they're still alive so i'm like is the central theme of the movie that city mice should just stay in the city because by not killing them, you've actually undercut all of the suspense and tension. So it really just, they're not really murderers. They're like relocators. They're just fucking with them. Yeah. And it's like, what's to stop them now from going back and being like, hey, we legally own this house that you're now living in with your whole family. Like, I know it's like a sweet picturesque scene that was intended to be ironic. But these people, because you left them alive, could just sue you and take the house back and all of you will go to jail. So... What's the fucking point of this exactly? Like, what am I supposed to get out of this? And it's like, it's so melodramatic and the violence, it is shot well. I will say, after I watched this right after watching Checkmate, which looks like it was shot on someone's phone. So at least this had cinematography. I will give it that. Uh, it wasn't stellar by any stretch of the imagination, but it looked like a movie. Um, too bad that the ending like completely spoils any like just glimmer of entertainment value that the movie would have otherwise had. Well, does it have any, is there any irony to the ending? The is irony just... is okay. The ending, like before the two wake up at a train station and are just like, well, I guess we'll stay in the city now. Cause that's where we belong. That's what the pig people taught us. Um, <laughs> the very, like before that is a scene of this happy family, this huge, like family gathering at the house, uh, at the house where they were living and it's a barbecue and, um, a little kid that has been appearing throughout the film comes running out of the house and he's wearing a pig mask. Oh, freeze frame. And it's like, Wait, did you think we didn't know that this new family living in the house were the people that ran them out? Do you think we don't understand that? Oh, wait, or were you saying that the kid's going to grow up and do the same thing to other people? Like, it is so wishy-washy an ending. And then to have the two people wake up and not actually be dead, it's like, I have no reason to fear the pigmen. I don't fear the pigmen. Do they look at each other and go, huh? No, they just kind of like, they're very stunned. And then someone comes over to help them. And that's literally the last shot of the movie. It is just, it's garbage. Like the story, the plotting, just garbage. It it looks like a movie. I will give it that, but it's not particularly well done. I will, I will say skip. Um, although this does have a making of the Bloodlands, if you want to know more about it on this Magnolia, it doesn't. It doesn't have a why did this get made feature. Well, I will see your Bloodlands, uh-huh. and I will raise you the Muraturis. Uh Legion, oh, Legions of the Dead. Now, I was going to watch this movie, and I think I've talked to you guys about this before. About one of my favorite things about doing the show with Johnny Neal is when he really hates a movie, he live to he live messages me on Facebook to tell me everything that's wrong with it. Um, so I started getting messages about this movie, uh, and I want to read a couple of them to you, and maybe you guys can start to understand why I didn't bother at all watching this film. Jesus Christ, have you seen this movie? 
oh my god, this movie was offensive. Just ugly and and tapes and plotless and violent and vile and mean. I found my breaking point. Why was this your breaking point, Johnny Neal? Well, first of all, if anybody knows me, they know that I'm I'm kind of an asshole. You know, I don't really. I a very good friend of mine, Homer Delosier, a very good friend of mine, gave me his three rules for living when I was 19, and they were: you don't have to be nice to people, you don't have to explain yourself, and you don't have to do what you don't want to do. And I take that. I have taken that to heart my whole life that at some point you can say, yeah, fuck that. You know, I don't have to be nice to you. You're being a dick. I don't have to have manners. Well, so therefore I have a thick skin and I expect other people to have a thick skin. Right. You know, I mean, if, when you leave the house, you're going to get sunburned, you're going to get mosquito bites and you're going to get a broken heart. Right. I, I think that people need to, to toughen up a little bit. All of that goes out the window when I go, this movie offended me. I never thought a movie would offend me. But this movie, first of all, you get five people in a car, Italians, two women, three guys. You spend the first 30 minutes of them riding out into the country just bullshitting about uh, soccer and stuff and what they're going to do when they get there. Like, well, where are they going? I don't know. They're just going out into the country because it's cheap. They get out into the country and they kind of split up like a guy and a girl go walking off and then the, the chick stays with the other two. The guy and the girl go off and then he starts making out with her, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like they're making out and that's fine. Everybody makes, everybody needs to make out. And then he just goes, now suck my cock. And he slaps the shit out of her. Hits her so hard she hits the ground rolling. And then he comes over and he grabs her by the hair and just starts beating on her and yelling at her, suck my cock, suck my cock, and kicking her in the belly. What? And she's laying there screaming like, what the hell's going on here? And, you know, for 20 minutes, he's been a nice guy. And then he pulls out this dagger and he makes her open her mouth and he sticks his dagger down her throat and he goes, nah, that's, that's how much you can open your mouth. Now I'm going to put my cock in its place. It's like, he says, suck my cock more times than Ron Jeremy in, in six months. Right. <laughs> it just keeps going on. And then he's beating on her some more. Yeah. And then he, then he rapes her and then it's cutting over to the other two guys suddenly are raping this other chick and she's like i mean they went a really long way out of their what a weird group of people to three friends to to get these two chicks to drive out of here yeah and then so they rape this chick and then uh one of the they're they use some scissors to cut her clothes off of her so she's completely naked and they're beating her and like like face raping her and ass raping her and and cussing her and calling her a whore and just beating on her and yeah. it's just filthy dirty it's just with no with no point sad. whatsoever there's no point to it yeah and then she gets a pair of gets hold of the scissors and stabs one guy in the leg and then gets up and runs away and then i think the other chick ran off when the guy was just like catching his breath or something then they're, they So then they call this other guy on the phone and it cuts to him in his apartment and he's got a chick tied up and he's like dipping or dripping uh, acid on her crotch and, and at one point he like takes a tube and her you, you see her leg is blocking the view but he like sticks this tube down between her legs and then drops a mouse down it and while he's talking on the phone to her and she's screaming and and then... It cuts to the two women kind of rendezvous and they're kind of hiding, right? And then one of the guys finds the two women and then 
out of nowhere, these statues, they don't show them actually come to life, but this is what the moratories are supposed to be. They're supposed to be these statues of like uh, gladiators and they come to life and then just kill everybody. Yeah. You, you think that they're going to rescue the women and it's going to be like, oh, good, the, the elders great and wise rescued the women from these evildoers. No, they kill everybody. They yeah. just, they just, they're chopping off people's heads and stabbing them. And then the next morning, the guy that is in his room with the, with the chick that he's torturing tries to call her or tries to call the guys and they don't answer. So he gets in his car and he drives. And as he goes over a hill, you see on the side of the road are the five people crucified. They're all on crosses but they had already killed him. What's the point of crucifying him? But then these statues crucified their dead bodies on the side of the road. And he stops the car and he gets out and he's looking like, what the fuck just happened? And that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Except I was going, how did this happen to me? This sounds like a movie that was made to cater to the most despicable pieces of shit in the world. And they're like people who actually get off like this. This, you know what this sounds like is actual torture porn. Like yeah. that's that's what like I've never been a big fan of that uh, that uh, turn of phrase, but that's what this sounds like. There's not even a story; it's just yeah. a, a big ugly movie. Yeah, I mean, like I, I've never I've never watched any of the Saw movies or anything, but my understanding is that they are at least some kind of a plot device in there for a reason that this is happening to these people. This is just two chicks who were going out with, with to party in the woods. And then this happens, and then these there's no reason for these statues to come to life and kill everybody. It, it was it was so vile and so bad at the yeah. same time. Like even if it wasn't vile, it was a bad movie. If it yeah. would have just been uh, Cabin in the Woods type, not the movie title itself, but you know uh, a Jason movie, yeah, it would have just been a bad Jason movie. But instead, it was it was really baffling that it's the kind of thing that. I'm so First Amendment, you know? I am so, like, if you don't want to get offended, don't leave the house. And yet, this movie offended me that, right. that somebody would put this kind of energy out into the universe for entertaining somebody. Yeah. It, it, it just really, really bothered me. It's a scummy movie for scummy people is what it sounds like. And it says it was banned in Italy. It sounds more like it should have been banned just, you know, anyone who has eyeballs should not bother to watch a movie like this. And I Ugh. I have Johnny Neal to thank for keeping me from watching this. And I, I love the fact that on the back of the box, the back of this Blu-ray from Synapse, there's what sounds like a critic's quote, but there's no quotation marks around it and no so they've just they're saying this about their own movie. This is this is when you know the movie is bad. When they are complimenting their own movie on the back of the box. An interesting mix of old school nineteen eighties Italian horror with horror with a touch of the brutality of Wes Craven's The Last House on the Left. You can't say shit like that about your own movie. You can't give yourself compliments on the back of the box. That's immediately how I know it's a lie, and I will not be wasting my time with the Muraturis. And I, I hope the whole Synapse company folds. Whoa! With a with a, I hope my my atheist god drops a meteor on their whole production house. That's my prayer. Well, let's run away from that quickly. <laughs> And talk about the final movie of, of this episode, which is also going to be our giveaway. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about this. This is one I missed at South by this year. It is Love and Mercy. Uh, this is the uh, the story of Beach Boys' Brian Wilson. And it, unlike most biopics, this is told in two parts. There's two almost not separate movies, but two distinctive movies happening here. 
One about the young Brian Wilson, played by Paul Dano, as they're still the Beach Boys are recording. They're already by the time this movie starts in in the Paul Dano story, they're already huge. That's you know? cool. That's really cool. And this is about him making the movie. Uh, was it Pet, Pet Sounds? Sounds? Yes, Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds. The album Pets. Did I say movie? Yeah. See, I can't separate the two. Making the album Pet Sounds, and also dealing with the onset of his uh, his mental disorder. Now. Later in the movie, now the other part of this movie is the older Brian Wilson, played by John Cusack, when he is being manipulated by a shady psychologist, played by uh, Paul Giamatti. Because in a musical biopic, Paul Giamatti, Paul Giamatti is always the shady one. This, oh, yeah. This is what we learned from Straight Outta Compton. Um, is that he's he's this the movie. Italian that can play the Jewish uh, shady guy. Yeah, he can be indeed. Be he a manager, be he a psychiatrist. Yes. So both of these both of these versions of Brian Wilson are dealing with conflict because the younger Brian Wilson is starting to have psychological problems and wants to do very outlandish things with his music and the rest of the Beach Boys are not into it and he's having to kind of reconcile the fact that he wants to create he wants to be innovative and they don't and then he's hearing voices um, he's having a lot of just psychological barriers to to function and then you jump ahead to uh, John Cusack playing the older Brian Wilson, falling in love with a woman played by Elizabeth Banks, who looks gorgeous in this movie. This takes place in the 80s, like this this part of the story, and how their relationship is being hindered by the um, the meddling, the the interference of Paul Giamatti's telling Brian Wilson like you you're sick, you need to keep taking these medicines, you need to it makes makes him make Paul Giamatti his legal guardian. It's really just just manipulating him, and so it's two versions of the same person dealing with different but related uh, impediments to their happiness. And I thought that was so beautiful. I thought that, you know, both versions... And it's tragic, obviously. But I love the fact that you have two versions of the same guy, both trying to be happy, both trying to find out who they are, but being hindered by outside forces. And both of them... Like, John Cusack is another one of those guys who unfortunately does almost exclusively straight-to-video garbage anymore. John Cusack in this movie, in Love and Mercy as the older Brian Wilson, is so vulnerable and so complex and so... You, your heart goes out to him immediately that it makes me even sadder that he's not doing better movies because he's still got the chops. He absolutely does. Yeah, definitely. And Paul Dano is just has been aces since day one. Paul Dano... you I've never seen a bad Paul Dano performance in no, my right? life. Yeah. The guy's phenomenal. And I loved watching... You know the Beach Boys make their music, and um, I know I was under the impression that Pet Sounds was always kind of a cast off, um, you know, not really liked, kind of almost a uh, a comically a comic a comic failure of of an album. But at the end of this movie, they talk about it being considered by music critics to be one of the greatest albums of all time. It might, yeah. you know, music better than me, Johnny uh, Neal. Yeah, well, first of all, I've never been a Beach Boys fan. Okay, um, just just never. I mean, they were kind of. Not before my time, but well, they were before my time. I was born in '63, so. Um, but I just I've always found them kind of kind of trite, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, I sing along every time I hear them on the radio. Sure, know? so it's so catchy. <laughs> it's Their music is thing, so catchy. Right? So uh, yeah, I mean, it was like when I was of the age that they would have uh, should have sunk in on me. I was like, no, Zeppelin, you know. <laughs> so uh, 
<laughs> well, I will say that in the 80s, the whole throughout the 80s, in Rolling Stone magazine, almost every month there was an update of what was going on with Brian Wilson and this psychiatrist guy. It was uh, it was like the whole world was watching this happen, but nobody was doing anything oh, about wow. it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was very weird. And and yet, at the same time, it's Rolling Stone, so they sensationalize things, and, and you're going, well, you know, they're crazy. People are musicians are wacky and, yeah you know he he he's a grown man he could get out of it he could do what he wants sure um the weird thing to me is that then you get even older and you look back on the history like the beach boys like like they knew charles manson you know they, yeah dennis that, wilson yeah yeah <laughs> I, and i learned wilson. that i learned that from a, if the, you guys haven't heard of his podcast called you must remember this a karina longworth's podcast about the history of hollywood Oh my God! Check that out. There's a whole twelve part series on Charles Manson's Hollywood, and you know where Charles Manson came from, and all the connections he had to the industry. And there's a couple episodes about his relationship with Dennis Wilson, and it's just whoa. Well, there's rumors that he sang on on their albums, but if you go to Netflix and look up the Wrecking Crew, have you seen that? I have not. That's excellent. It's about the group of studio musicians in Hollywood in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that basically played on every hit song that you ever heard from those days. And like the big revelation that I got out of that, even though this is a movie that is a tribute to those musicians themselves yeah. who get no credit anywhere, they go so far as to say yeah we played all of the instruments on the beach boys albums except yeah. for what brian did brian was a genius who knew exactly what he wanted most of the time we would get like sunny and Cher, and we would go yeah let's try this you know and they produced the albums for the people that got all the credit and and the fame for it but when it came to brian wilson he came in and said, this is what I want, but my touring band, who doesn't have to be that good because they're playing over screaming teenage girls, aren't good enough to play this. So they'll still get album credit, but you you guys have to do the, the heavy lifting. Yeah, that's definitely a topic of discussion in the movie is how great the studio musicians are and how they're a lot of the reason for the success of a lot of these bands. Did they touch on Glenn Campbell at all? Because Glenn Campbell, that was kind of his. No. Glenn Campbell actually went on tour with the Beach Boys because he was in the Wrecking Crew, and he went on tour with the Beach Boys, and then that was kind of his uh, moment in the spotlight that gave him a chance to become a, a star instead of just the studio guy. No, you know they didn't really mention that. Um, I will say I think one of the most beautiful love songs ever written is "God Only Knows." Yeah, me too. I I like that song. That song gets to me every time. I yeah. really, really love it, and uh, even more so now that I'm in a relationship. But like, even when I wasn't, like, it's still like, man, it's a hell of a song. Let, and let they, me get my handkerchief out for Brian. I know, Hold right? Weepy over here. <laughs> but this is an and what I like a lot about this movie is the moments they choose to switch from one story to the next. So is it is it back and forth? Yeah, no, it, oh, yeah, okay. low. It's not a timeline movie. They go back oh, okay, and forth, okay, but they go cool. back and forth at very poignant moments to make you understand how the problems he had later in life were seeded by these things that happened when he was younger. And they, they're they almost like couplets, like a, uh -huh. a series of couplets of things. It was like that, Lost. Yeah, I mean, and it, yeah, very much so. And it's it's a really beautiful tribute to this guy. And he's still alive. I actually thought he was dead. No, he just toured even. I knew I knew that uh, the other Wilson brother had drowned. Yeah. And for some reason, I got into my head that um, Brian Wilson was dead as well. That's not true. Sorry to spoil that. Um, I'm not sorry that he's still alive. I'm just, I'm just, anyway. Um, but no, very, very beautiful movie. Very touching. The performances are on point. Uh, really uh, deliberate, really um, 
practiced with how they go back and forth between the two stories, and I I really dug this a lot. So. And the well, I I wanted to see it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to, but I wanted to see it just because of the '60s styles when it shows oh, yeah. them with the the Kodachrome film, you know, the 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 way they processed it, and with their shirts and holding the surfboard and all that. That just looked really great. Absolutely. Their story, the Beach Boys story, is so bizarre. They've been you know, they fought over who has the right to be called the Beach Boys the way, you know, the Four Tops and anybody else has done. You know, there's such yeah. a roster of, of people. Now they're all like 100. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you have it. Well, Love and Mercy, like I said, is also going to be our giveaway this week. If you would like to win this giveaway, what you need to do is follow us on Twitter, at OneOfUsNet, and then tweet at that account. I still got a lot of people tweeting to the at DigiNoise account. Tweet at OneOfUsNet. Um, the name of a, of a musical personality whom they haven't made a biopic about, but you think they really need to. So tell us who your pick for the next big musical biopic subject should be. You're going to hashtag that Love Mercy giveaway. We'll pick our favorite. That person will win the Blu-ray. And that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Who do you pick? You always have to give your sample answer. Um, see, that's a good question. Um because a lot of the ones I can think of, they've already made I know, biopics right? about. And so they've not the necessarily been good. That's the challenge of. Uh, I would have honestly, I would have said NWA, but right, uh, they did a really good job with that one. Um, no idea. And it's I, 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 I know, know, right? It's tricky. Like mine would be Lou Reed, oh. but nobody could play Lou Reed. I would you know, say that's n- the <laughs> that's the real tricky part. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, again. This is not going to be an easy question to answer. So put your thinking caps on, guys. And that's going to do it for this week's Digital Noise. Thank you so much, Johnny Neal. Thank you. All right. Uh, if you guys want to hear more of us, uh, again, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, and uh, on Codeine. On Codeine, apparently. Uh, <laughs> at Bry Guy Salisbury is mine. Johnny Neal is Johnny Neal at. Uh, uh, just yeah, at Johnny Neal. Com. Yeah, I'm yeah. on Facebook. And on Facebook. <laughs> and I'm on Codeine. And co- oh, <laughs> lots of Codeine. Definitely use those Amazon links. If you haven't become a subscriber, please consider doing that. That's how we keep the lights on here and tell your friends to do the same. But I'm going to go out the way I always do uh, with, uh, with some bullet bourbon and chewing on some... No, wait, no. Uh, no release is too big. No release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. <laughs> <laughs>